WKYT Podcast. This is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, April Philpott. Hello, podcast listeners. Typically here on Uniquely Kentucky, we're talking about happy and uplifting topics. But in this episode, we're talking about something that's oftentimes hard to discuss, human trafficking and sexual exploitation. So right up front, let me say that some of the subject matter and discussion here might not be appropriate for younger ears. With that being said, my guest, Deanna Lynn, is someone who escaped the trade, sought refuge here in Kentucky, and is now the author of a new book, Purchased, Leaving the Sex Trade. It's a topic that we don't talk enough about, but people really are suffering in this industry. They're really hurting in this industry. And her look today and our conversation is one way to open the door and talk about human trafficking and and the sex trade and also to try and stop it. Uniquely Kentucky with Amber Philpot is brought to you by the WKYT News and Weather Apps, available on the App Store and Google Play. Um, I know when I say the word um, sex trafficking, human trafficking, the sex trade, you're probably going to cringe. Don't turn off this podcast right now because we're going to have an awesome conversation with a young lady, Deanna Lynn. She has written a book, Purchased, Leaving the Sex Trade. It is about all the things in that, but it's also a book about um, rebirth and figuring out life and learning to love again. So Deanna Lynn, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This book is a tough read, but it's also a beautiful read because, as I said, it does talk about all of the things that are hard about the industry, uh, sex trade, sex trafficking. Um, So first of all, let me ask you, how are you just in life in general? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, About 11 weeks away from having two baby girls. So I get to start my own new family and leave my own legacy behind, um, me and my husband, Matt. You are not originally from Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, and so sometimes I always tell people, yes, uniquely Kentucky, you're usually from Kentucky when you're a podcast, but we're going to claim you because the reason oh. why you got to Kentucky is uh, a wonderful organization, Refuge for Women. Um, it is a nonprofit that gets women out of the sex trade, the sex industry, and really gives them hope and gives them a program to put their life back on track. Talk to me about getting here to Kentucky in the first place. Sure. Uh, first of all, I don't mind being called a like a native of Kentucky because it is the first place I've ever been able to call home. Um, and that is thanks to Refuge for Women. I was living in Los Angeles when I had heard of the Refuge for Women. I was actually on a church plant team. I had left the porn industry, um, but the effects weren't leaving me. And so every Sunday, like, I I would feel good about life. And then the rest of the week, I just didn't know how to live it because I I didn't have any new experiences to operate out of. And I just spent 10 years watching every class of human being um, purchase me. So when I had heard about the Refuge for Women, apparently they were affiliated with a church out here called Southland, Mm -hmm. which is where uh, my friends came from. And I didn't know that till I came out here. Um, and so they had used their dollar club money, uh, and flew me out here and said, Deanna, I think you just need a place to rest, like a place where I could stop hustling, where I wouldn't have to try to figure everything out in my own. And, um, 
and a place where I didn't have to worry about like who was going to come in my room at night mm-hmm. and and all of that. It was it was like one of my first like really safe places. When I sat down to read your book, purchased. I found myself, um, my heart just really went out to you. And I also thought, wow, these things can't possibly have happened to one person. It seems like it would take a lifetime for all of these things to happen to one person. But then I realized it was in a very short amount of time and you were very, very young. I want to go back to something in the very beginning with you. Um, Pornography was something that was introduced to you very, very young, right? Yes. And that kind of, it seemed like that set you on a path, whether or not you knew that at the time or not. That's what it seemed like. Right. Um, and and I really didn't even make the connection until a few years into the industry of how long it had been a part of my life. But yeah, I was introduced at five years old and it was a normal part of um, my mom's life, my parents' life, and even after she passed away. And so... Uh, you know, one of the things the industry will tell you is that you're helping marriages and, um, the person who had, had groomed me to go into the industry would tell me the same thing. And it was kind of backed by a lot of what I had seen and, um, until later on in the story where I saw it was actually really harmful. Sure. One of the things that we talk about here in Kentucky a lot is that um, the drug epidemic is so rampant and it knows no status. It doesn't care if you're male or female or your age. And that's what we're seeing now. More and more people are putting themselves into whatever form of this industry just to make money. And it seems Mm -hmm. like drugs kind of fuel you along the way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's twofold. Um, If you're so depending on what lured you into the industry, because some of it could just be an addiction to attention um, and they'll get you by setting you up with like a few modeling shoots and stuff like that. Uh, And then they end up doing drugs to be able to relax a little bit more so that they can do what the next thing was that was asked. Or they find people who are already vulnerable, already addicted to drugs, and um, they just happen to be the person that's there for you when you're trying to escape jail or escape your family or abuse that's going on or a bad relationship. And and they're right there ready to promise you a new life. Yeah. Sometimes I think that it's so hard for us to talk about human trafficking because people just think it doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Or people tend to think what I found is that if you have chosen to uh, work in a strip club or you have chosen, let's say, um, to work in the porn industry, that that is your choice. And I don't think people always understand that sometimes you get trapped Mm -hmm. and you... So uh, help me understand that because it's something I wrestle with as well. And I know that a lot of people that think about this, they don't really know how to wrap their head around that. Sure. That was a big reason why I wanted to publish this book. It's because uh, a lot of people would categorize me as a victim of human trafficking. And while there are definitely ties to what's going on and, and the industry's working together, um, you have the other side of the population who says, well, they're there by choice, so I don't mind going to the strip club. I don't mind downloading this film because like, that's what they're there for. Um, but Honestly, so that book gives you a look at, well, what is the mentality of somebody who goes into that industry? Because if you look at the the state of mind that I was in when I was 18 years old and thought this might be the next best option for my life, you'll see, like, first of all, I, I wasn't in a healthy place. Most of us aren't. Um, and then most of us are trying to get some sort of power back that was taken from us a long time ago. So we're trying to almost heal our own trauma in a sense, unknowingly. 
sometimes knowingly. And then, and then you think about the word choice, like I've been out of the industry since 2011, 2012. Um, Nope, it might have been 2010. Sorry, mm-hmm. lots happened since yeah. then. Um, and yet, like they they still reuse footage because they like I've signed all my rights away when I was 18, and so they're still selling me out there, and people are still justifying their purchases, saying, "Well, she chose to be there." Well, here I am, 10 years later, with a family trying to start over, and I'd like people to stop purchasing that. Um, but I don't have a choice in that anymore because of of what happened when I was 18. What do you think it needs to happen? Do you think more people like you that find their way out and find Mm -hmm. their way to the other side do use their voice and do speak up? Will that someday make a change? Will that someday make a dent in this, do you think? Um... So the hard part is, is so when you're in that industry, they'll tell you like, there's no getting out. And I can't tell you like the kinds of phone calls, text messages and emails I get from people currently working in the industry, achieving many different levels of fame, but like dying inside and wondering if there's hope, but they, you know, the world's celebrating them and they don't know how to leave that behind. And yet they're like sleeping in a brothel and, you know, doing all these things on the side. So it's hard because we don't have a lot of people who really, if, if they do get out, they, they just don't want to look back. Mm-hmm. And, and I was that for the most part, but it didn't work for me um, because I was to the point where I really didn't want to wake up anymore. And they say like a lot of people who leave the sex trade either end up dying from an abusive relationship, addictions, getting murdered, or suicide. And what what you don't hear on the other side of that statistic is if you get proper healing, you can have a different life. But a lot of people just, if they get out, they just try to never think about it again. There were so many times when I was reading the book that I would think, she's almost there. She's going to break through. And then Me you too. Did it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, um, again, I, I mean that my heart really went out to you as I was reading it because, you know, you kind of get immersed in what you're saying and you feel like we're almost there. And then it's not. Do you remember sort of that one thing or since you have come through that one thing that you can now pinpoint back and say, this is what led me down this path? Um, to getting out or getting in? To getting in. And then and then on the flip side of that, that one particular moment that said, I'm done that moment. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Yes. So actually, um, my, my path started at 17 working at a restaurant that exploited women. And so, um, they, they had us, they entered me into a swimsuit competition where the winner won a layout in Playboy magazine. Uh, sorry if I'm not allowed to say names. Um, and so here I am at 17 years old, and this restaurant is teaching me that there are acceptable forms of selling sex. And at that time, you know, nobody was making the connection that all of this is feeding the same demand. Um, and so it was the girls there that led me into uh, doing more. And then we had applied for one of those models wanted ads and a beautiful woman introduced us to what happened to be a pimp who showed up with alcohol and mm-hmm. acceptable drugs under his standards. And so it just kind of one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. And it all started with being 17, being a hostess at a restaurant that, you know, said, that, that sold us in a different way uh, and advertised us. And, and then how old were you when you said enough is enough? I was. So I probably stayed in from about 18 to 27, 28. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. And do you remember that moment in that light bulb moment, if you will, that said, this is enough. I, I need help. I need to find a better way. Yes. Uh, it was when a fan had drove from Georgia to California to have me sign his DVD collection. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think like, oh, this could be dangerous. I thought like, wow, that's really flattering. And um, not understanding that, like, he was expecting to meet some fantasy and not a real woman. And so he couldn't break that. And the next week, um, his wife had called and uh, explained to me that they didn't know where he went. He took the family savings account. Um, and when he came back, he was so remorseful and so broken. And when he was asked to let go of his addiction, he had killed himself in front of his family. And that was like one of the first times that I saw, like, this is actually destroying people. And I saw it destroying my boss. And he was, you know, we're going to say one of the more reputable companies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and while he didn't on film um, use underage women. He still portrayed them to sell to people whose sexual preference was Mm. pedophilia. And so when his daughters got to that age, he was breaking down. And so I'm literally watching people break down and then masking it with drugs and pain pills and stuff like that. And I was just like, I I have to get out Mm. because I'll I'll never like be able to be free if, if I don't leave now. When you went through Refuge for Women, um, what did you finally learn about yourself that maybe you had forgotten or you forgot who you were? What was the first thing you remember going, ah, this is me? Well, I think it was that the realization that there was like a plan over my life before porn had hijacked it. Now, that that hijacking started at five years old. Um And so I think one of the first things that we realize is that we had dreams, you know, just just little ones, you know, sometimes. And so what was it like to pursue things that had nothing to do with the sex trade? And because a lot of times what can happen is you heal and then you're like, okay, well now I'm only going to talk about the sex trade. Mm -hmm. And and that's great. I'll share my experience when it benefits others. But there's other things that he had purposed that were purposed over my life. And what is your dream? What was your dream to, to go on and be when you grow up, if you will? Um, well, actually I, I kind of wanted to be a politician, um, which is funny. Uh, but I think what I realized is I started to look at the consistencies in my life, right? Like I'm a natural salesperson. Um, I don't like to be forced to sell things, but I love sharing the things that I love. Um, I, I like to teach and I like to walk alongside people who are in pain and, and help them to live like an optimal life. So I work in the fitness industry and I work with people with mobility issues and limitations and post rehabilitation. And I just think like, what an outlet for me, because whether like it's something spiritual, emotional, or physical, I get to walk alongside people in that journey. And that's kind of been always consistent in my life. Yeah. How hard was it for you to sit down and pen this book and really put out every single deep, dark, horrible moment and then put it on pages for everyone to read? Ooh, well, it was a seven-year process. Mm. Um, it went through many, 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 many drafts. And um, it was hard in the sense that, like I said, when I came to like this new way of living, I thought, 
Like you just never look back. And that wasn't what I was being asked to do. Mm-hmm. And so somehow I had to figure out a way to live into the whole of my life and not just like drop it here and there, but actually realize like, of course you made those like decisions. Like no wonder, like, like the place, this is the place that you were in. I don't have to make those decisions today, but I can still validate the the person and the place I was in before that. And I think once I did more of that, I was able to put this out there and say, this is the whole of my life and I'm offering it to you in case you might be able to relate and either not make those choices or know that there's hope if you ever did make those choices. Have you heard from folks after they've read this book? Like what's Mm -hmm. been the reaction from folks? Um, so I've actually, one of the purposes of the book was to help mentors, like people who are coming alongside others. And I have received feedback that they are able to understand more that it's not necessarily an overnight process. And I think some people think like, you know, you step out and and you just go into this new life, but there's like a whole process that happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it goes in layers and sometimes it's not, it doesn't look like just walking away. Um, So how do we walk alongside people who are, are still in it? And they're not ready to leave Mm -hmm. and let them know like, hey, you're not forgotten and we're here and let's do coffee and let's try to have some sort of normalcy in life and, um, and care. You, um, decided to stay here in Kentucky, which Mm -hmm. we're glad. Did you fall in love with us here in Kentucky? (laughs) Um, I did actually. And I never, so I came out here, I was like a real, real city girl. You were from, is Arizona in Los Angeles? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So definitely big change. So I came out here and that was, I did go into a little bit of shock (laughs) and I had some like snobbery to get rid of and all of that. But, um, family. Hmm. Like I've never seen more family rally around me. And I mean, even right now they're putting together a list of who's going to help me care for these twins, you know? Um, and I just, I'd never experienced a love like that before or witnessed, um, family like that because most of my family like dispersed or Mm -hmm. didn't exist or passed away. So I, it was really the people. And then I do, I do like the quiet life and I hope to have a farm one day. Good. I read that you like now, uh, did I, I'm going to get this wrong. I already got something else wrong. Llamas, not alpacas or alpacas, not llamas. Alpacas. Not llamas. Okay. I know you're very passionate (laughs) about that. Well, I mean, we we don't mind having a llama because they'll protect the alpacas. Um, but it's just funny because I have this love for alpacas and because like llamas are a big trend, everybody gets me all this llama stuff. <laughs> Stop <laughs> buying people, the llama like, stuff. Like alpacas are very, like there's a difference like in size and like everything, but they just think they're the same animal. And so I get a lot of llama gifts. <laughs> you ultimately, would you like to do something with that? Cause I know, mm-hmm. you know, animals and therapy and folks that have PTSD, that's such a wonderful thing. Is that something yes. that maybe you're thinking about later on? Yeah, I mean, the goal, and we have no farming experience mm-hmm. except for, you know, he grew my husband grew up uh, with crops and stuff. But um, so our hope is, is this post-recovery transition season. And that's that's the second book that I'm going to write is, is what life looks like when you integrate back in. Mm-hmm. Because that seems to be where people have the most questions and get stuck. And I want a safe place where we can offer our home for retreats. And women can come back after they've gone through the healing process and come back to the the coping mechanisms, to things that they can't 
do while they're at school or they're at work and stuff like that. Like triggers are going to come up and a lot of the women think that maybe they're not healed. And and it's just that, you know, every time you get a new life experience, you have to battle that. Mm. And what happens with PTSD is you start to disconnect from people and disassociate from yourself. And so to be able to offer a safe place where we have crops from growing things from the ground up to alpacas and stuff, um, they can make a tangible connection with something that they trust, something that they mm. pour into and see a result. And then they can take that back into the world and start relating to people again. And so it is a really big deal. How thankful are you that, that someplace like Refuge for Women even exists? Well, thankful for my life. Um, I mean, I remember calling them saying, like, I, I have tried everything else. Like, I had five years sober. Like, I, mm. I was able to not drink, but my problem was, well, how do I live with this? And um, they literally gave me a completely brand new life. And I, I couldn't be more grateful. And just the fact that, like, I was able to have a safe place to live, to unpack all of that stuff, because I had tried counseling, and I tried um, sex industry recovery groups, and you get all this stuff opened up, and then you just have to go back into the world and pretend like that didn't just happen. Mm -hmm. Like, I needed a place where, like, afterwards I, I could nap and not have to worry about paying my bills for a second. Sure. Um Sometimes so, breathing, just getting the yeah. space to breathe is a really big deal. And sometimes yes. I think it doesn't matter what you're going through. We all kind of take that for granted, right? That just having that small time to just breathe and not have anybody yes. else asking anything of you is a really big moment right. sometimes. Um, your wonderful husband is sitting right here. I asked him if he wanted to be a part of this. He didn't. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's awesome because now you guys are on this journey together. Mm -hmm. And and I am sure he's, I'm sure the love of your life, and it's got to be so hard for him to read what's in the pages and also walk this journey with you. Um, how did you meet this fella? How did he come into your life? Well, we went to school together. We went to seminary together mm -hmm. and, um, we were friends. We walked to chapel together every week and over Christmas break realized that we had missed each other. And, um, so when he came back from break, I shared about where I had come from mm -hmm. because, you know, here's this man on, on the track to, uh, becoming a pastor and grew up in a small village. And mm -hmm. so I, I knew that it was going to be quite different for him. And his response was like, man, like sometimes like we take God's grace for granted. And so like for him, like he's never seen me like passed out in an alley mm -hmm. drunk or with a needle in my arm or putting on a show for men. He's only seen me like on fire and ready for this new life. And so that was just such a beautiful response. And um, he started right away learning what it was like. Okay, so my wife's an alcoholic. What does that mean? What's my mm -hmm. role? What's not my role? Right. And he's really good about that because he's like, you know, like this This is something for your sponsor, mm -hmm. not me. Um, and he knows that it takes like a community of people to support us. And so we've had everything from marriage mentors to counselors to workshops to just help us have um, a successful relationship that looks like vastly different than what people say relationships normally look yeah. like. Yeah. You were studying at Asbury, uh, mm -hmm. are maybe. Well, what do you hope to do with that? What do you want to do with your education now? 
Um, Other so, than write. Sounds like more yeah. writing is definitely coming. Well, I am one class away from having my requirements to be able to be eligible for a doctorate program. Oh, wow. Good for you. Um, now, with twins on the way, we're going to have to, like, Pause. navigate yeah. <laughs> that. Um, but I hope to uh, explore theology in the body because I think um, one of two things happens is is when we get healed, if not everything's healed, like that affects our faith somehow. And so what does faith look like when, when we get a no and sometimes the consequences of either somebody else's decisions or our decisions, uh, don't go away. Like, what is it like to live with trauma and still have a really, really good life and faith? And, Mm. um, so I definitely want to explore that topic a little more. When you think back to that 17-year-old self, and now you're sitting here pregnant with twins, can you sometimes even go, wow, I, I can't believe I made it, or wow, I can't believe that was me? Uh, sometimes I have moments where, where I almost cry for myself. Um, sometimes when I do like speaking engagements, yeah. they'll play like a little video, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was my life. Mm. Like I forget. Um, it is interesting because you do almost like look at yourself like a third party and you're like, whose life am I living? Like I have a beautiful marriage Mm -hmm. and a really peaceful life and it's just not, it's just not violent or, Mm. um, and now I'm going to bring two girls in the world and we're taking birth classes and, you know, I think my whole life I wanted like normal and everybody says there's no normal, but there is there is something to be said about like steady mm-hmm. and um, not tumultuous. Yeah. And stuff. What about your dad? Because you write about him mm-hmm. quite a bit. Do you have a relationship still with him? Yes. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned in the book, he ended up getting married when yeah. I was nineteen, and um, when I went to refuge, him and his wife uh, started kind of working on their own journey Mm -hmm. and, and they look very different. You know, I'm very open about stuff and they're just like, let's move on. And Mm -hmm. we're all just going to be a family. And, um, and so they're, they're really fun people. What do you hope for folks that, you know, pick up your book? What do you hope for folks that maybe want to learn a little bit more about refuge for women? What do you hope for folks that when they think about this topic, they're not mm-hmm. comfortable with it. What do you want people to take away from the book and you talking and, and just being open about it? Well, I think one of the, the biggest things is um, that no matter where you have been, your life can be completely unrecognizable. And, and it really just takes making one good decision. And then the next day you make another good decision. And then before you know it, you're living free. And I think sometimes we think like, we got to get rid of all this stuff and then we can, then we can have a better life. But it's like, you know, what, like, what if we just took a moment and thought about like, who are we becoming and how are these choices helping us to get there? Um, And then make those choices one at a time. And then before you know it, like you can't even recognize the Mm. life that you're living in. That's awesome. How has your spiritual journey been? Because that's been a huge part of this as well, of kind of mm-hmm. figuring out God's plan for you. Um, that is a that's a huge part of that. Putting kind of one step in, or one foot in front of the other, and one step forward, right? Mm-hmm. 
going back to being like a natural salesperson, I always had this belief that that Jesus died for me too. And that what he did on the cross, I wasn't exempt from. And so when I was in the industry, like I told everybody I was a Christian and they were really confused (laughs) about that. But all I knew is that I was forgiven, Mm. that for some reason he didn't exclude me. Now, when I came out here and I started really unpacking, what does it look like to live for God? Like, I didn't know that I could have a different life. I knew that um, there was going to be a life I could look forward to. I just didn't know I could have any glimpses of it here. And so when I got here and I realized, like, it's not just about forgiveness, it's about freedom. And that he could literally transform me here Mm -hmm. and now. I just completely submitted to that process and... You know, I watched the the Passion of the Christ, and um, I just realized, like, like nobody's ever going to love me like that. Like, and so from now, like, I'm not going to surround myself with people who don't love me like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he really set the bar high on, on who, <laughs> who I was going to be doing life with. And yeah. it's not to say, like, I don't do life with all people, but, yeah. like, people who really guide me and stuff. Absolutely. Love, love looks a lot differently. Deanna, if people want to find your book and um, and read it, where can they get it? Where can they find it? They can find it on Amazon. Okay. And do you do speaking engagements? Are you someone that, yes. as you said, you do that? How could people find you if they would like to maybe get you to come to like their church or their organization? Sure. Um, I have an email on the back of my book and okay. it's purchase the number four good at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, Deanna, thank you so much. Thank you for being open and honest about a world that, quite frankly, so many people don't understand or they don't want to understand. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. And I appreciate that you've made Kentucky home and that now you're one of us. And we say uh, congratulations on the twins and world. your world's about to become a whole lot different now, right? <laughs> Deanna Lynn, everyone, the book is Purchase, Leaving the Sex Trade. This has been another episode of Uniquely Kentucky. Until next time, I'll see you on the news on WKYT. If you are in a situation where you need immediate help in leaving your current situation, if you are being trafficked in some situation, or you are the victim of sexual exploitation, there is help out there. You can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That number is 1-888-373-7888. You can also find more information by looking up humantraffickinghotline.org. There is help available.